You're listening to a podcast brought to you by international law firm Trowers and Hamlins, combining market sector thought leadership, advice, and ideas, helping businesses and governments prepare for the future. Hello, everyone. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us today on this podcast. My name is Tom Reynolds. I'm a corporate partner at Trowers and Hamlins based in our Malaysia office. And I'm, I'm delighted to welcome today Michelle Lim, the president and CEO of the Institute of Corporate Directors Malaysia. Michelle, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Tom, for inviting me to be on this. Very, very honoured to be on this. Thank you. Thank you. No, the, the pleasure is all ours. I'm sure you couldn't imagine around eight months ago when we first bumped into each other on, a, on our respective holidays that eight months later yeah. you'd be stuck having to do a podcast with me but uh, that's how it's <laughs> happened and I'm, I'm immensely grateful that you, you've done uh, that. Uh, not at all though. likewise. Well I, I mean the, the topic today I'm, I'm very excited about and so for those who have tuned in some of our podcasts before I'll just set the scene briefly. This is the, the latest in our ESG Perspectives series that as a firm we're running with a view to getting perspectives across Southeast Asia, and, and here we're, we're talking in particular in, in Malaysia, but I think there will be themes and commonalities for the region generally, around the ESG much talked about agenda and the different elements of the E, the S and the G. And, and so far, we've had the pleasure of talking with Al-Raji Bank in a, in a financing context. We've talked to Aberdeen in, a, in an asset management context. And it's great today to be speaking with you, Michelle, and, and the Institute about the key role of governance, because I think ESG is so much, but to me, at the kind of heart of all of it is governance and strong and diverse uh, leadership and voices in leadership that, that helps drive business, but also the other elements of the, the ESG agenda. So we will um, we'll kick off, if it's OK, with kind of a, a relatively sort of broad question, I suppose. You know, you, your background is, is an interesting one. You used to be a lawyer, so I have to say that's interesting as a, as a fellow lawyer. But I'm really interested in kind of your journey um, through to the role you have now, the Institute itself, and, and some of the initiatives and, and focus points for you. Hi, thank you, Tom. Um, yes, uh, guilty as charged. I, I am a lawyer. Um, I qualified in the UK, did my bar in the UK in Middle Temple, uh, came back to Malaysia and was in practice to start with. Um, I then decided to go in-house and I've not looked back since, to be honest. I love I love the dynamics of the business. I love being part of it. I love, uh, you know, finding solutions and being part of the whole, the, you know, management and, and then, of course, uh, subsequently board as well. I, I, I just love all that, the conversations, the dy- you know, dynamics, as I've said. I obviously started out as, you know, in-house, as, you know, in a general counsel type role with a bit of risk as well in it. After practice, I joined uh, Danahata, which is the National Asset Management Corporation in Malaysia then. That was just after the the crisis, the Asian financial crisis in 97. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were there to basically maximize, you know, returns on on all the non-performing loans uh, that that we bought over from the banks. That had a finite life. after that, I went on to Proton, the national car manufacturer, also in a general council, but started to go into governance, corporate secretarial. Um, I did sit on several subsidiary boards, uh, mm-hmm. you know, management committees, all of that. So it was a very, very holistic in that sense, a very good experience. Thereafter, uh, I joined IHH, uh, Healthcare Berhad, one of the mm-hmm. largest uh, uh, listed healthcare providers. Globally, I, I will say, I think when they were listed, they were the largest, but now you know, one of the largest. Again, general counsel heading, you know, uh, corporate secretarial as well. 
uh, I also was the chief sustainability officer. So that sort of leads into today's discussion as well on ESG. And then I was headhunted to join uh, ICDM and I've, I've not looked back. I have no regrets whatsoever. It's been extremely, extremely fulfilling. Um, ICDM, I, I suppose, was a natural progression of my career and, and, and you know, my career development in that sense um, from, you know, legal to corporate secretarial to, to you know, board matters to governance, really, as a governance professional in that sense. So very, very much a natural progression of that. ICDM is, of course, the National Institute of Directors for Malaysia, recognized by the regulators, uh, etc. The main regulators being the Securities Commission, the Central Bank, as well as uh, Bursa Malaysia, the stock exchange. We are about uh, between our third and fourth year now of operations. Um, we started in October 2018. We were running where we were meant to be crawling, really, not, not even walking. Um, and, and as a result of which, I think, you know, diving in at the deep end in that sense, we've achieved so much and learned so much. Our learning curve was so, so steep, right? Um, I have a fantastic team, fantastic team, extremely diverse. If anything, we've got the gender balance the other way around. We've got loads of women we're looking for more uh rows among the thorns or shall i say well we're looking for you know we're always look on the lookout to make sure you know we've got guys in there but you know when we're, we're hiring in that sense but yeah and and a great uh, team because they're young as well very mm -hmm. agile very innovative uh, a lot of what we like to say creative abrasion within icdm itself and on our board as well um we've actually brought on board uh, uh and, and that was intentional to the latest two directors are below 40, one's an entrepreneur, one's a CEO uh, herself. So we want at least sort of different skill sets. Uh, we've got, of course, uh, very you know, senior people as well on the board, uh, lawyers, uh, HR professionals, those in the governance space as well. So a really, really good mix. So we really do walk the talk in that sense. Uh, and we really do live through the values that we're promoting. And ESG, I will say, is part of our vision, mission, and, and our purpose as well. If you look at our ICDM report, which is on our website. So again, very, very much a part of what we do and really governance and, and sustainability are inextricably linked. You, you can't separate them. So there you go. Answer to yeah. your first question. <laughs> Michelle, thank you very much for that, you know, really interesting kind of overview. And I think what, what strikes me in particular about it, you know, that, that, that platform you've described as having set it up, but, you know, the diversity that you brought to the role through the various industries you'd worked in over the period of time, you, you'll have seen a lot of change. I know that there have been statutory changes over the years with the, the new Companies Act having been brought into force and... You know, Section 17A of the Malaysia Anti-Corruption Commission Act quite recently that, that introduced quite sort of strict provisions on management's responsibility to prevent bribery and corruption. And, you know, that's that particular topic. But those are kind of those are headlines. And then there's the, the practice that comes with that and how management and leadership evolves to, to thrive beyond purely compliance and actually to help drive a business's growth and, and, and the benefits that come with that you know, those improvements in governance. And I, I just wonder outside of the purely statutory, if you could talk to some of the, the key developments that you've seen in your career and, mm -hmm. and maybe more recent pace of change in, in, in governance generally in, in Malaysia. Uh, thanks, Tom. And I'm glad you raised the point about being, you know, ticking the box or, or, or compliance thing because governance, and, and we talk about this all the time, should not be compliance based. In that mm -hmm. sense. I mean, yes, there's some things you need to, uh, mm -hmm. comply and adhere to and all that but it should not be 
a, a box ticking exercise, right? It needs to be internalized. And really that's, that's where we come in. Uh, you know, when ICGM was set up, we were the third leg of a three-pronged uh, approach that the uh, regulators had, uh, the Securities Commission, you know, and we talk about the progression as such. Um, from 97 crisis till now, you know, the, the Securities Commission came up with the Malaysian Code of Corporate Governance. The first iteration was post-crisis. We've had several iterations since, and that itself shows the development of what we're talking about now, of how things have progressed uh, and what is the state of play now. Um, and our role as such is the third leg of that, that progression, i.e. from a regulation-focused to uh, or regulation driven so that's where you have all the the regulations in place and i have to say our regulations and frameworks in malaysia are actually very very comprehensive in that sense more can be done and and that is our work as well as enforcement but a lot of what we do now is is to complement and to sort of solidify what's already in place because the regulations the law the framework is actually very very strong so we've had that regulation driven uh, sort of of culture progressing to a more market-driven culture. And towards that, you know, uh, uh, part of the, the, the SC strategic priorities between 2017 to 2020 was to then start instilling that self-regulation or self-governance. And that was why we were set up. And that's our role, to try and improve governance on boards themselves. So they need to internalize it, right? So again, moving away from being just purely compliance-driven to internalizing and now if we talk about ESG, it's, it's being more future-focused, uh, resilient in that sense, right? So you talk about long-term sustainability and you want those sort of internal uh, cultures that promote that uh, within a company, right? Uh, good ethical cultures, let's say. So that is our role. And we see that change over the years. And, and we talk about from ever since we were set up from 2018 to now, let's say in the last three, four years, we've seen that as well. And, and we like to think it's really a shift in board culture, in mindset, right? From being, you know, traditionally, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure in the UK, but in Malaysia and possibly many countries as well in Asia, a board seat was seen as a retirement thing, you know, a reward for your long you know, service and all of that. Mm-hmm. And that's where we need to move away from. And, and it is starting. And that mindset shift is starting. We see the needle moving. Um, people are starting to look at a board seat as not merely that. There's huge responsibility, huge accountability. You talk about Section 78, 17A and all that. Yes, all the more. We see a lot more recognition and acceptance that the, the directorship journey is a professional journey. It needs to be professionalized. And that's our role as well. Right, so professionalizing that position in that sense, and we also see how uh, governance is, you know, as I mentioned, inextricably linked with sustainability. So you need to start taking it forward in that sense, right? Looking forward to see how do you sustain these sort of practices. So it's that you know move from uh, less of being a, a compliance thing um, mm-hmm. to being uh, professionalized and to being sustainable and and resilient. So. That is the shift that we see. You can see that uh, evidence in the uh, Securities Commission Capital Master Plan 3. They, they do talk about yep. the shift as well. Uh, the Asian Corporate Governance Association, their last 2020 CG Monitor report, I think, reflected that as well and the work that we do. So you can slowly see that the needle moving in that sense. Yeah. That's really interesting. Thank you. And it's one of the other things I've observed. I mean, Malaysia is a really fascinating place from a government's perspective because of the differing nature of, of business here and its ownership. And, you know, there's government-linked company-driven 
businesses, there's listed companies with a real diversity of of sort of shareholder base. There's traditional sort of family-owned conglomerates that, that have grown, and, and in all cases, we're increasingly seeing variety of of backgrounds of individuals being brought onto boards to to lend those those different voices, which is which is really interesting, and it sort of brings us onto one of the other points I was hoping to discuss. And for for anyone out there who's listening, I'd, I'd certainly recommend going onto the ICDM's website. And there's some really interesting in your reports, and and actually on the sort of the, the front page of the website, really some some really interesting statistics around, you know, not just having reached the point that you've described of, of having the the right sort of dynamism within your board, but also the the benefits of diversity and not just having the diversity, but also the inclusivity of that diversity in the voices and the decision-making, whether that's relating to gender, uh, independence of the board, you know, tenure of board seats, bringing people in with international expertise to, to lend a different perspective. And, and it would be just, like I say, the stats are out there and I wouldn't want you to have to reel all of them off, but it would be really interesting to just hear your kind of perspectives from, you know, the outcomes of, of that kind of research and, and the results that you've seen. Yeah, I mean, you know, diversity, again, that that's one of the pillars or, or within governance uh, itself and we talk about governance on boards and I mentioned professionalism right and, and when we talk about uh, diversity you'd look at board composition for example you know in, in what we do and when you look at board composition again that's linked to professionalizing boards because right now there's an appreciation of for example board evaluations you know independent board evaluations which is what we do or one of the you know services that we provide because our end mandate at the end of the day is to improve governance on boards so Board evaluation is a great start because you start to evaluate and, and it's meant to be forward looking. It's not meant to be, you know, retrospective or fault finding. You're meant to see how can the board improve? Where are the gaps and how can we improve and, and fill those gaps? Right. So it's very, very much forward looking. So one of you know the ways in which a board evaluation can help and lead to diversity is, is we look at composition, for example. Right. Do you have the required or shall I say, is there enough diversity on the board? Because as, as you've mentioned, we have done a, a diversity study and index. We did that last year in 2021, which shows a direct correlation. It's, it's, not, uh, you know, it's not a causal link in that sense, <laughs> but there is a direct correlation between diversity. And we're talking not just about gender. We're talking about gender, independence, culture, tenure, as well as you know, experience, international experience. Mm -hmm. So you know, there's a direct correlation between diversity as such and corporate performance. And, and, we, and that comes out in our study. You can see it on our website in, in our report. Um, gender, for example, there's a 38% higher median in terms of return on equity when you have a sufficiently diverse board in terms of women mm. compared to a board that has no women, right? So there's empirical evidence. There's mm. lots of it, right? Uh, even linked to long tenure, linked to um, you know, international experiences, uh, you know, more than 40% in terms of revenue, in terms of you know, boards with, with more diverse experience, more diverse culture. So there's enough evidence out there. So uh, diversity itself, you know, and, and there's there's no point in having diversity without inclusivity, right? So you, and, and that's not just at the board. The board sets the tone at the top that needs to cascade down to the organization. So that is where you get the real value then. When, when you're inclusive throughout, in your policies, in your practices, and this is where, you know, ESG as well comes in because diversity is part of the G, right? Mm -hmm. Also part of the S, if you think about it in terms of mm -hmm. social but in terms of G, you know, you talk about diversity, you know, what do you have 
uh, in terms of diversity that improves governance, you have less of groupthink, less of that homogenous way of thinking, right? That there's, there's more thinking out of the box. Um, there's deeper discussions, deeper debate. Uh, when we talk about diversity, uh, apart from gender, let, let's say if you talk about age, right? And mm -hmm. that generational diversity that we like to see, and that's a big focus area for us. We want that gap. You don't just want the senior ones. You don't just want the younger ones. You want that gap because you want to see those both sides, the, the two perspectives, right, come together and generate that debate, right? So, so that's what you want. So better debates, uh, better discussions, better decisions, end of the day, right? So, you know, it all goes towards that. So diversity, you need to link it back to what are the outcomes that you want to see when you have a more diverse board. And, and I can tell you from our own experience, it is huge, the value that you create, the value that you get. And it's important that management extract that value from the board and bring it down and implement it into the organization. And that's where you see the greatest value, right? Don't just assume, oh, we've got a diverse board, so nothing's happening. You have to extract that value. You have to get it out. I mean, boards are your advisors, right? And, you're, and they're there to give you their experience, uh, their perspectives, what they bring to the table. And diversity is one of them. So, Get that out and get the maximum out of that. I suppose one of the things, when, when I've talked to people in the past, one of the challenges that some people face when they don't have that diversity and inclusivity yet is kind of where they can start to do that. And is that the sort of thing that the Institute can kind of help organisations with? Where does someone start? Is it minimum quotas? It's a difficult one. It's probably a day's worth of podcasting. But, but what would you say are some of the key tips? Okay, in terms of uh, in terms of a minimum quota, I mean, we do have in terms of regulation and the Malaysian Code, uh, uh, for example, and 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 uh, Bursa as well, talking about the minimum thirty percent uh, of women on board. Mm -hmm. You know, budget has mentioned that as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, large companies would need to have at least one woman on the board by September this year. All you know, PLCs, public listed companies by June of next year. So, you know, and, and this has been long coming. Now, 30% Club, for example, who are an advocacy uh, group, um, you know, it started in the UK uh, and the Malaysian chapter is housed under us, right? So all our gender initiatives go through 30% Club as well. Um, and they have done a lot of works in 2015 to move the needle. Uh, we are just under the the 30%. Uh, we're, we're probably hovering at about 26% or so. <laughs> 30% women on the, the top 100 boards, but there's still a lot to be done. And one of the ways in which we are helping to achieve that is through, I know I did mention board evaluations, leading on from that uh, board sourcing. Now, this is where we source for candidates uh, to sit on boards and we're one of the independent sources for, for board candidates. Um, and that is also specifically mentioned under the Malaysian Code of Corporate Governance that co corporates should, when they source for board candidates, also uh, ensure that they source from independent sources and not just from their own networks or, or connections, etc. And we have a huge, uh, you know, a large part of our work as well is building up that pipeline of the next generation of directors coming in. And that is the diversity that we're bringing in, in terms of gender, in terms of age, in terms of skills, in terms of experience. If you look at the Malaysian Board Practices Review that we did last year, together with Russell Reynolds, you see there's a slight disconnect. Although a lot of boards realize that there are you know, skill sets that are missing on their boards, i.e. in terms of having a, a digital skill set on the board, entrepreneurs mm -hmm. on the board, uh, human capital practitioners on the board, et cetera, or you know, innovators on the board, they are still only 8%, I think, of the sample companies were actually sourcing independently. So you're not going to find those skill sets 
if you're just looking at your networks and your own connections, right? Because a lot of boards, when they're looking at their own networks, they're just looking, you know, at a comfort zone, right? Mm -hmm. So you're not looking for the right skill sets. When you source independently, for example, with us, you will find those skill sets. So, so we're finding that needle moving a lot, I would say, in the last two years. Uh, a lot of boards are sourcing. We've seen our board sourcing services go up more than twofold. Obviously, a lot of them are also sourcing for women candidates, but they're also looking at sustainability skill sets and digital skill sets as well you know, within that. So we see that shifting. Not only that, because we're also bringing in, we have a specific program that targets what we call aspiring directors, mm -hmm. uh, those who are looking at a career as a board director, right? And looking to progress that. So senior C-suite uh, positions, for example, we actually put them through the motions, uh, screen them for board readiness, put them, you know, we have this targeted program, which looks at technical skills, soft skills. It's a year long program. And cohort one is about to graduate. Um, we're, okay. we're on to cohort three now. And it's very, very targeted to build them up so that they are then board ready. And, and they're called ICDM graduate directors when they graduate, for, you know, when they complete that, that program. Um, so people know that they've gone through uh, and, and we've, we've verified that they are board ready. And we've actually, you know, introduced them to a lot of boards to try and get them their, their first board seat. And a lot of them, a lot, many, many are very, very impressed. We've actually placed two already out of cohort one on boards, and they Thanks. have no prior board experience. Bear in mind, no prior board experience on listed companies, and they are now mm -hmm. on listed companies. This year alone, I think we placed 12 directors on boards within the first four months. Uh, we placed as well uh, a candidate, a female candidate in sustainability with no a previous listed board experience onto a listed board. So you see that needle shifting because listed companies are starting to look at first-time board directors as well, which is very, very good in Malaysia, and I'll yeah. tell you that. So, so that is really moving. So there's, there's a lot that's moving in that space. We are also seeing in terms of ESG competencies as mm -hmm. well on a board. A lot of boards are appreciating the fact that they need to look at that. We look at our ASEAN Board Trends survey uh, 2022, and uh, many boards in the region are looking at ESG competencies, as, and it's one of the top three to improve in terms of board composition. So there's a great recognition of, of that, that on a board. So, so really, there's no excuse, and, and you know, diversity leads into that, because women are generally more empathetic, and they're, they're, they're more generally in that sphere of you know, uh, E or, or S or, or, and the G as well. So very naturally, women come into that role. Yeah, okay, thank you. It's, well, it sounds like businesses out there don't really have an excuse because if they're not sure what to do, they can uh, they can write to Michelle in the Institute to, to oh, get the sure. guidance. Oh, sure, write to me, like write to me, no worries. The, the programs are, <laughs> we won't uh, well lead you astray. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got the programs and it's already delivering results, which is which Oh, is really, yes, I think, you know. I think in the last four years, we've we've run over 200, I think, development programs with over 12,000 participants. That That's the last four years. This year alone, I think it was about 93 with almost 5,000 participants. So that, you know, the fact that people are, are joining and subscribing to these services shows, again, the needle uh, moving in that sense. It's wonderful to hear that organizations are also not, and it's obviously not everyone, but are not purely giving somebody already on the board the tech role or the, the sustainability role. You know, you could go about it with a degree of lip service and a superficiality, but actually it's such a complex space now and it touches on everything from you know, investor confidence, um, it touches on liabilities for the business, it touches on your ability to take financing, increasingly internationally, and, and I'm sure in Malaysia, it impacts on the attractiveness of 
a business for future employees. So there's a generation of people who want their businesses to be sustainable and to be practicing sustainable initiatives. So it, it kind of cuts through, you know, beyond, you know, there, there are metrics you can measure and there is investor pressure, but there's there's all these sort of wider benefits to it. So it's great to hear that the boards are sort of increasingly working with you to make sure they've got people with the right skill set to drive that. And it, it's a big shift and not just, uh, again, paying lip service to to a trend, because if it is a trend, it's certainly very much here to stay now and uh, and becoming as important as, as so much else. I suppose the other last point it would be really good to touch on today, particularly, is where you see the biggest challenges still. I know we've probably, we're just about coming out the other side of, or in the middle of still for some AGM season. And so there'll, there'll be a lot happening there, I'm sure, keeping everyone very busy. But what do you see, whether it's the short term or the medium term, where do you see the either sort of challenges in in sort of hurdles that are still existing that kind of need breaking down or, well, probably conversely, but on the same point, the opportunities for business? I don't think the theme has run very far from what we've just been talking about, you know, uh, in the first part and, and today. You know, we talk about professionalizing, uh, you know, uh, board directorship. That's a start. Uh, that's a very, very important start. And a lot more needs to be done in that area because we need to reach out to a lot more boards. We also need to, you know, and, and this covers across the board. It's not just listed boards. Yeah, we've, we're talking about across uh, the board, if I have to say this. Um, yes. You know, you're looking at non-listed, you're looking at SMEs, um, you're looking at NGOs, you're looking at the public sector, not to forget, where they also need a lot of help in that sense. So, you know, that hasn't changed. We need to just keep on at that. There's a lot more work that needs to be done there. There's also a lot more work to look forward, you know, to make sure that boards are ready to move forward. So it's changing that mindset again. Uh, And this is where ESG comes in and is very, very relevant you need to look at resilience, you need to look at future sustainability. So what we have you know, come up with, and, you, and you know, we've, we've embedded it in our vision, mission and purpose, what we call uh, sustainability-driven governance. Mm-hmm. Um, it is also a theme for our International Director Summit, which is coming up this year in September, mm-hmm. September 26th or 28th. Uh, do, do check that out. It will be virtual this year over three half days. Um, the first one was in 2018. That was over a day and a half, but that was uh, uh, fully in person. Uh, this one will be uh, mainly uh, uh, virtual, and the theme will also be sustainability-driven governance in that sense. Now, we see that as a theme really going forward uh, in terms of building up skill sets, building up resilience within businesses. Um, and when we look at that theme, um, there, there are five real pillars to that theme, first of which is risk. You know, appreciating risk in terms of the entire ecosystem and how that impacts a lot of, you know, your supply chain um, and a whole lot of things. Uh, looking, uh, using a risk-based assessment when you're looking at your ESG gaps, for example. So, you know, looking at risk and our ASEAN board trends uh, survey as well highlights risk is still up there right, in terms of one of the important areas to look at. So, you know, looking at risk and embedding that into the business and permeating that risk mindset into the business. So again, this, you know, you talk about board and management. This is, again, the start. Secondly, very, very important is embracing technology. And we talk about digitalization and all that, but you really, really do need to. You really do need to up the game, right? We talk about, you know, we had a power talk this morning where it's not just the E, S, and the G, but there's the T, which is technology, mm. right? And you go into cybersecurity, AI, 
you, you know, fake news, all of that that's in that space, right? You need to really, really look at that and how that impacts your business, right? And again, when you employ technology, we, we go on to our third pillar, you need to innovate because there's evidence to show that companies or businesses that garner or, or benefit the best from ESG is when they employ a technology or they innovate in that sense, mm-hmm. then they get the biggest value from, from, from ESG. So don't just look at ESG and look at it as a box ticking and, and you know, implement you know, all these good things and yet not innovate. Because if you don't innovate, you don't see the best results. And then you look at it as a cost as opposed to an investment and you don't see yeah. the results. Right. So you need to innovate. So that, that's our third pillar. Fourthly, stakeholders. You can't forget them. You need to engage with all your stakeholders. Everyone talks about this, but it really, really is important. And, you know, your stakeholders are beyond your, just your shareholders. They're your employees. Of course, your employees and your shareholders are your biggest ones, probably. But there's huge stakeholders in your ecosystem. Everyone needs to look at their own company, their own industry, do their own mm-hmm. risk-based analysis in their company because there's no one-size-fits-all. Look at who your real stakeholders are, engage with them. The board members need to engage with them, not just management. Because as you see, you know, the investors will vote you out if not. So so do engage with with, uh, your stakeholders. And lastly, self-regulation. Or, you know, we need to be accountable for what we do. And, And again, it leads on to ESG, right? And sustainability. You know, you need to be accountable for what you do, right? You need to, there's a human side to to governance, right? Uh, you know, people look at ESG, you're expecting that, you know, it's come about because your consumers and your stakeholders want to see sustainable businesses out there uh, with a heart, right? And that you're appreciating uh, and the people can continue uh, safely, you know, uh, consuming your products, uh, working for your company, for example. So, you know, you can't get away from that. Businesses need to look. I mean, the default really for all businesses is should be sustainability. So you can't avoid it. So again, that's what we see going forward. We also will be next year designing and implementing a mandatory ESG program. This again came out of the Securities Commission strategic priorities uh, running up to 2023. And this is a very novel and and newly created content for ESG. And it's really, really very exciting. So we do, and all boards, obviously, listed boards, firstly, will be, you know, will have to take this. And and I can tell you, it'll be very, very uh, practical. Mm -hmm. Um, And this, again, you know, will help boards understand because, as you say, uh, Tom, a lot of them, you know, even big companies, are struggling with what do they do? How do we get to 2030 or 2050? How do we get to net zero? We can yeah. help you, uh, you know, mindset shift as well, but how do we get there? So in slow steps, right? Do your analysis of your company, look at the gaps within your company and start small and you will get there, right? But start small and start real and do the right things, right? Do what's relevant to you. Don't look at others. Um, you know, you, there are standards, there are frameworks, that's fine, but look within yourself and see where your gaps are and start there. So, so, so that's where we talk about internalization as well. Uh, and then you will see the results. And we do as well at ICDM advise on, you know, how you can do your own roadmap, for example, how you can, you can help integrate, you know, ESG into the business. So there are a lot of people there to help, right? But just ask, you need to ask for help because you can't, as you said, 
you can't get away from it. You know, we can't think, oh, it's not going to affect me in my lifetime. It's not going to affect us. It, it has already. Your consumers are speaking. Your investors are speaking. Funders as well, right? Mm -hmm. Insurance as well, right? You will yeah. not be able to get funding or insurance if you don't look at it. So, so please, you know, I, you know, we all know that we can't ignore it and, and companies can't ignore it now. Yeah, thank you. No, fascinating. And, and you've given, you know, direct examples of the fact that not only can you not ignore it, but there's everything you need to enable you to actually address it in the context of your business and to enable it. And I really liked your point on the T in the ESG or, you know, the additional letter really, because, you know, in the end, the, the technology platforms and, and, and support that kind of exist allow, they pretty much allow all of it, don't they? Whether it's analysing where you are at the moment and where your gaps are and what you need to achieve, whether in the context of of, of governance and a top-down leadership mentality, but also getting views from elsewhere in the business. You know, technology kind of enables all of that speed at a, at a level of comfort for people in different platforms that it just goes from, you know, you can go from strength to strength very quickly with the right kind of tools, I think. But they just need to come and have a coffee with you guys, really. And uh, and <laughs> that's, that's probably the start if people aren't sure where to start. But for those who have, like you say, innovation is key as well. Because if you don't, you just stand still. Yeah, open um, your minds, open your minds, be agile, innovate, just open your minds, you know, really, that, yeah. that's that's the best start, yeah. Absolutely. Well, Michelle, look, thank you so much for your time, both on this podcast and the earlier one. It's been a, it's been a great, a genuine pleasure um, hearing your experiences, your thoughts and everything you and the, the Institute are doing and your passion for it. And I, I can only hope those listening are, are equally inspired and, and will we'll come to you and, and the team to help them on their journey and, and keep developing. And, you know, there's just so much opportunity and positivity. So thank you. Thank you. No, thank you. And let's keep the needle moving. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks again, Michelle. Take care. Thank you, Tom. Wonderful. I, I, I've very much enjoyed the experience. Thank you so much. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers and Hamlins. Find us at Trowers.com and join in the conversation on Twitter at Trowers or find us on LinkedIn and Instagram.